You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 29 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and with me, as always, from Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon Lee Gowden. What's up, BLG? Stats, I have a bone to pick with a certain uh, co-host on the SB Nation NFL show who covers a different NFC's team, but we're not going to get to him right away because we have a more important NFC East guest with us today. Yes, we are going to talk a little Giants because they seem to be making a late splash in free agency. So we're going to get there with Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Before we do, I just want to remind everybody, rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. Leave a question in your uh, comment there, and we will be happy to answer it on the program. All right, let's not waste any more time because, as I said, the New York Giants are rapidly building up their team here. So we wanted to talk to Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Ed, I have questions for you. And it starts just big picture. Where are the Giants in terms of their window for winning? Because I've seen some articles saying now that Kenny Galladay is in the fold and now that Adoree Jackson is here, the Giants don't have excuses and they need to win now. Do you agree with that? I do to an extent, but it depends on how you define win now. And by the way, hi, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for, for having me today. And uh, it's been a long time since I talked to you, Stats. I know. My old co-host on the look ahead, Ed. You've grown since I last talked to you. <laughs> I, I've added weight, maybe, but I don't know about grown. <laughs> But but anyway, back to back to 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 the Giants. Um, it depends on how you define win. Now they have gone all in to find out if Daniel Jones is the right guy. They have gone all in to leave no stone unturned to build the best possible supporting cast that they can. This is year three with Daniel Jones, and we still don't know. We've seen flashes, we see ability, we see athleticism, but he threw 11 touchdown passes last year. The Giants had the 31st-ranked offense in the league. They have to know after this this coming season, they have to know if he can be the quarterback of a good football team. And and they've done they've done everything they can to 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 put pieces around him that he should be able to have success with. So for me, that's what it's about. I don't look at it like, oh, God, they've got to go 13-3. and three. They've got to make a deep playoff run. They've got to be a nine-win football team anyway, a team that's in contention in Week 17. They've got to, be, they've got to know about Daniel Jones when the, when the season's over. Now, I hate to say it, Ed. I hate to give Dave Gettleman credit, but I, I like the talent he has acquired now. Wow. And and, and you, you know, I, I have to say I did enjoy the fact that there that there was a little bit of whining at Bleeding Green Nation about having to cover <laughs> Kenny Galladay twice a year. I think it's going to be an issue. Look, this is a guy, you know, who led the NFL in touchdowns, uh, you know, in 2019 when he was healthy. Uh, and Adoree Jackson, I think, has been an underrated starting cornerback. When you look at his his uh, resume, he's been like one of PFF's top four uh, graded corners since 2018. Uh, you look at his pass rating allowed in 2018, 2019, before, you know, 2020 was obviously a down year for him with injuries. I think the Giants have made some good additions now. And you can kind of question the contract values with those but with where the Giants are in terms of desperation and everything and like you said and kind of this 
and oh, it's more specifically, not just the Giants with desperation, but where Dave Gettleman is with desperation, because it feels like this is kind of his put up or shut up uh, year, kind of needs more results here. Um, I want to ask you, Ed, because a lot of people, I think, think of the NFC East right now between the Cowboys, who are getting Dak back, and then Washington football team, who obviously won the division last year. Uh, is this the year the Giants finally win the NFC East? Well, I I. Th- think that the Giants see opportunity. I really do. I think the Giants see opportunity. The Eagles are in some sort of a transition. I don't know what sort of a transition. I think we, we don't know where the Eagles are going at this point. You know, Washington, do we really, really trust Ryan Fitzpatrick to lead the Washington football team offense? And and Dallas, I always look at Dallas. They, they finally got a contract for Dak. They always look better on paper than they turn out to be. And and I think that the Giants, not only, not only with the Daniel Jones question, but I think they see opportunity. And I think that, that with the additions that they've made, there's no reason I'm not going to sit here and say they're the NFC East favorites because these are still all flawed football teams. These are still all imperfect football teams. But there's no reason not to believe that if the pieces come together, that they can, you know, they should be able to be a good football team. Let's go back to Daniel Jones for a minute because when I started looking at his numbers, Ed, like you said earlier, 11 touchdowns. 11 touchdowns in 14 games in 2020 is is incredible. Like, I don't even know. How, you could, by accident, throw more than 11 touchdown passes. But the more concerning number for me with Daniel Jones is the fumbles, Ed. He can't stop fumbling. He decreased his fumble total from 2019 by seven and still fumbled 11 times. That's insane. He leads the league in fumbles every year since he's come into the league. He's turning the ball over. Like, I think there are major questions with Daniel Jones. I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's the long-term guy. And and this goes on Gettleman's, I mean, this is on Gettleman's resume because he got crushed when he took Daniel Jones sixth overall. And I haven't seen anything to justify that draft pick. Well, I think that's the other part of it. And and you're right. This it. It's also, you know, both of you guys have kind of talked about it. This is also a put up or shut up year for Dave Gettleman. It's year four for him. The Giants, I I don't have the number in front of me, but I think over his three-year tenure, they probably have the worst overall record in the NFL. This is put up or shut up time. I have put it this way at at Big Blue View and and on my own podcast at, at times. If the Giants come out of 2021 not believing that Daniel Jones is the long-term answer. Dave Gettleman, as much as I think he gets too much criticism, Dave Gettleman cannot be the general manager that goes out and searches for the next quarterback after Daniel Jones. It just can't happen. So yes, there's also heat on Gettleman, and that's got to be part of why they're, they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you mentioned Kenny Galladay earlier, and I think that's a signing that's really going to help Daniel Jones because when you look at uh, some metrics, one metric out there that PFF put out there, uh, Daniel Jones had the highest pass rating over 20-plus yards last year, like which is crazy to me. And I think Kenny Galladay is going to be a legit you know, jump ball, deep threat kind of big play weapon uh, for the Giants. So on that note, Ed, I want to get your thoughts on the best signing the Giants have made in free agency you know, considering contract and value and all that as well, not just getting the player uh, and the worst one. So what are the best and worst signings from this Giants Regency period? The best signing is Galladay. It has to be. The price is high. The price is more than I thought he would get. But, you know, you guys know when you're in free agency and when you're in that situation where you where you really have to shop at the at at the top tier, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're shopping at Tiffany's here. You're in Macy's. You're not, you're not shopping at Marshall's here. You pay more than you really should have to pay. And, you know, Brandon, you know, you know, cause Mark Schofield does some, some work for you guys as well as, as for me. And, and Mark did a video breakdown on Galladay. The thing about Galladay is 
there's the deep element to Galladay's game. And it's not that he's a burner. It's that he runs good routes. And it's that he catches 50-50 balls. And a lot of those deep shots wind up being 50-50 balls. There's nobody in the league better on those 50-50 balls, on those contested catches than Kenny Galladay. But Galladay can also win in the intermediate and short areas. He can win at all different levels of the field. And I'm not putting Kenny Galladay in the Hall of Fame. Let's not let let's not go crazy here. But he can win at all three levels. And the other thing that Kenny Galladay does, he allows Darius Slayton to play against number two corners, and he lets the Giants put Sterling Shepard back in the slot instead of, you know, last year where he was sharing that time with Golden Tate. So in many, many ways, it's a great fit for the Giants. And as far as worst signing, I'm going to kind of give you two that are really in the overall scheme of things, probably small things. But why did the Giants on day one of free agency spend two and a half or three million dollars on Devontae Booker? (laughs) on a backup running back that I still do not understand and stats I think you'll like my second guy I watched him play for a year last year after the Giants signed him to a two-year six million dollar contract and then this year the Giants restructured him to drop his cap hit but after watching Levine Tuilolo play for a year I do not understand why the Giants have paid him a penny (laughs) <laughs> me either because he was in san francisco and he was a ghost you couldn't find him out there i don't even know if he ever actually did anything for them a supposed blocking tight end who's a mediocre blocking tight end a supposed special teams ace who's a mediocre special teams player and he caught five passes last year yeah he's i mean talk about replaceable replaceable guys for sure replaceable um i did like the kyle rudolph signing by the giants i don't know about you but it kind of made me think of kevin boss back in the day i I like that move for the giants who can use a tight end a little bit in their offense well here's here's what i love about that signing think about jason garrett and what what he had all those years in dallas and now granted he wasn't calling plays, you know, except for early in his time in Dallas. But they had Jason Witten. And now Kyle Rudolph is not Jason Witten. I'm not putting Kyle Rudolph in the Hall of Fame. I'm not putting Kyle Rudolph in that class when, you know, when Witten was at his best. But Kyle Rudolph can do a lot of those traditional tight end kinds of things. He's he's a, a pretty good inline blocker, both against the run, you know, both in run and pass, he can run all of the short area stuff, the 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 Y option kind of stuff that that Jason Witten had a you know made a career out of all that short area stuff. And the guy hasn't dropped a pass since 2018 for crying out loud. <laughs> so you know, I think that as much as as we look at Evan Ingram and and you see his talent. And but he dropped eleven balls last year. There are just there are just things that you know. Jason Garrett tried to run his sort of traditional offense, and he tried to have Evan Ingram running all the curls and the stick routes and the option routes, and and that's not what Ingram does well. And for me, I think I love the Rudolph signing because he does those kinds of things that I think Jason Garrett wants from a tight end. And uh, looking at what the Eagles, or sorry, the Eagles, always on the brain, looking at what the Giants have done in free agency, uh, do you think that's impacted where they might go, or even not necessarily just what they've done in free agency, but looking at what other teams have done too, uh, do you think that impacts what they do in the first round? I think it could. Now, what I will say is if I know anything about Dave Gettleman, his draft tell is what he doesn't do in free agency. His draft tell is what he doesn't get. And there's two things he hasn't gotten. He hasn't gotten after losing or after having to to cut Kevin Zeitler. He hasn't gotten help for that offensive line. And he hasn't gotten a true edge rusher. So those are the tells for me that that's where I think they'll target. Well, one way to fill your needs in the draft is to trade down and acquire more picks. And Dave Gettleman, in his entire career, 
has never, ever, ever traded down in the NFL draft, Ed. Does that streak end this year, or is he standing pat at 11? Stats, I never heard that before. I never heard that that Gettleman's <laughs> never traded it. down before. You know, it's funny because he gets asked about that every year. And he said, look, he said, I know. He said, I've been asked. He said, I've had opportunities. And he ticked off some of the the GMs that he's worked for in the past and, and guys that, that he's worked with. And he said, none of these guys ever traded down. He said, this is just how I was trained. So this is how I was trained. It's not in my DNA. He said, I'm willing to do it. But he basically said, this is just, this is, he's never really been around it. He's never really been around a GM that did a lot of that. And not, not that that should be an excuse, because I do think if you can move down, say you can move down, say the Patriots want to move up from 15 or Arizona wants to move up from 16. To me, this is the perfect year to do it because to me, you can move down from 11, four or five spots, still get a really good player. And if you can get a two or a three for moving down a few spots in that area, why wouldn't you? Uh, one last question from me, Ed. And it's gonna be, I'm going to need a one-word answer from you. It's, uh, it's early, obviously, in the offseason. We haven't gotten to the draft yet. But do the Giants this year finally – have a winning record this season, yes or no? Yes. Okay. There we wow, go. Wow, there was no hesitation there either. It was a pretty strong yes. I like well, it. You Ed. know, I could I could have just let, let you guys hang for a while, but but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been. I mean, one playoff appearance in the last decade for the Giants. Hopefully, they turn it around. Uh, Ed, we thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it, and uh, we will be talking again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. So, BLG, do you agree with Ed that the Giants will be over 500? Because I got to tell you, I don't see it. Stats? Well, first of all, I want to disagree with your notion that you're like, hopefully the Giants can get back in the playoffs. I don't agree with that. No, I don't. I don't want that. Um, <laughs> and second of all, I do think they are better. I think they improved. Um, I I could see them winning the NFC East this year because, look, it's a in the, what? In, in the, well, look, this is a division stats where there aren't repeat winners. There has not been a repeat winner. I've probably said this on the podcast like 50,000 times, so I'm going to say it again, since 2004. <laughs> so, like, you, you can't just pen Washington in, and then everyone thinks Dallas is going to win, and they might. But sometimes uh, you go into a division, especially in this division, with like, oh, this team's definitely going to win, and then they don't. So uh, I, I think the Daniel Jones thing is obviously a huge question mark and, and gives me doubt uh, when it comes to the Giants. This is a guy who has an 84.1 career pass rating. This is a guy who, as you mentioned, has fumbling issues. And guess what? Unbelievable. Guess what doesn't get better uh, as someone who's watched Carson <laughs> Wentz? Fumbling issues. So, But I think the roster – I mean, look, like Adoree Jackson, as I said on the interview with Ed, like – He's an underrated player, and you add him next to James Bradbury, who was a Pro Bowl player and a really good pickup by the Giants last year, and now you add Kenny Galladay to the mix. I also like the John Ross signing for them. I know he hasn't been much, but just his presence as like a deep uh, threat, as a speed guy, like there's some pieces there to work with now. I don't think they're necessarily winning double-digit games, but I could see them. At, I could see them having one this season. I could see them going like nine and eight or so, assuming they're 17 games. I do agree with Ed that I feel like there's enough pieces there to say, all right, Daniel Jones, like this is it. It's your second year in the system. We've got pieces around you. It's a make or break year for you. So we'll see uh, how that turns out for him. All right, let's take a break because we've got a ton to do. We want to talk about your favorite quarterback, Carson Wentz, who's in Indianapolis, and they're already trying to puff up their guy there and talk him up. We'll respond to that. Uh, We still disagree about the future of Russell Wilson, so we're going to get to that. Also, it's the Alabama Pro Day today, and Devontae Smith said something recently that I love, so I want to dive into that as well. We got a ton to do. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. 
It's a 360 degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back here on the off-day debrief. And okay, BLG, I feel like this is very Godfather-esque. Every time you try and get away from Carson Wentz, something about him pulls you back in. And you you mentioned to me in our Slack chat that you noticed the Frank Wright comments about Carson Wentz. Uh, basically, I can paraphrase, but basically what Reich said was, if you turn on the film in 2019, that that proved that Carson Wentz still had it. Your thoughts? Uh, I just think that's not quite the sample you want to be going off. You're still believing Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know, at the time, I really did uh, feel like high on those games. I'm not going to lie because I thought, you know, Carson Wentz was kind of exercising his demons and, and reproving himself. But, you know, when you look at the context of those final four games in 2019, like, first of all, he wasn't absolutely like setting the world on fire. And he's I know the team was injured. He's working with practice squad players. But I think the coaching did really good down the stretch there as well. It wasn't just like the coaching was terrible and Carson Wentz was overcoming that, too. I think there was a mixture of great coaching. Carson Wentz played well and he did it against very bad NFC's teams like those teams. (laughs) He was playing at the end of the season were terrible. And again, I'm not trying to take that away from him and saying he was actually bad. But I just wouldn't be like using that as the basis to be like, this is an elite player. And then ignoring like all of 2020 which was a huge issue i think carson wentz realistically his 2019 season as a whole will kind of be like more of the player he is moving forward in the future than he is last year but like what is that what kind of player is that that's a player who i think the eagles went nine and seven with that quarterback and i think that's kind of where you're looking at as opposed to more of like a you know a double digit win team regularly you know 11 wins 12 wins 13 wins uh the whole carson wentz thing stats is funny because a lot of eagles fans are like well, why are you still talking about him well guess what people listening to this i'm on a national podcast now so i can talk about it and it's relevant and you can't control what i say um but yeah i I just think his comments his own comments like going beyond frank reich what frank reich had to say what carson wentz had to say in his own introductory press conference last week that's just a term that i want to introduce to the oddcast audience stats called ble and that's big loser energy and i just think carson wentz had a lot of that (laughs) because two main things from that press conference he said a trade wasn't his control false that is just such a lie he also said that the moment he knew like this might not be it with the eagles anymore was the moment he got benched like almost to say that like the benching wasn't justified it's crazy to me yeah i mean the fact that they didn't take questions from philly writers at his introductory press conference to me that well, they did a really bad they they they, oh, up, they actually did they ended up do, well stats if if you know a Philly beat writer they are persistent nothing if nothing is not persistent <laughs> so they ultimately got in but originally they weren't going to yes you're right right and that to me like that's pillowy soft like what do you do you can't take a question from a you're not even on the team anymore what what do you think he's going to do to you he's not going to come up and strangle you like answer the question what what are you afraid of that is the weird part of this to me. And I I didn't like what Frank Reich said either. Like, of course, if you ignore the bad things a player has done, they still look good. Like the year before his final season, Peyton Manning threw 39 touchdowns. He looked pretty good. But then in 2015, he threw nine touchdowns. But just you can't just ignore the bad. I don't like that as an evaluation process. And I thought that Reich had an interesting quote, too, where he talked about how basically the Colts are planning on drafting a guy this year. And then this Carson Wentz thing sort of fell into their lap. I don't know. I wonder if halfway through the season, Frank Reich isn't sitting on the sideline being like, man, why didn't we just draft a guy? I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. I had heard some things, stats, before the Colts trade happened that Frank Reich wasn't like 100% all in, like, like no questions asked. We got to get Carson Wentz no matter what. Like, Frank Reich has worked with Carson Wentz before. And I'm not trying to paint... Carson Wentz as like this locker room cancer or this bad guy because I don't think he is that I, I I don't and I think um I just think the issue is that he's entitled 
And I think there's a level of arrogance there. And I genuinely wanted, in my heart of hearts, for him to be benched this season. I think I talked about it here in the Oddcast, in addition to BGN Radio. Like, I wanted Carson Wentz to be benched. One of the big reasons why is because I thought it would humble him. And I thought he would, like, be like, oh, I need to, like, really check myself here and look in the mirror and, like, change things up. But it didn't. It just made him think, like, he was wronged. <laughs> and, like, I think that's such a crazy <laughs> takeaway from being – it's like, no, you weren't – wrong for being benched you deserve to be benched if anything you should have been benched way sooner than you were benched it's so crazy to me so it kind of hurts as someone who used to believe not Jalen hurts but just you know regular hurts <laughs> uh as someone who really did believe in Carson Wentz it hurts to see that because like I want him to do well not for the sake of the Eagles now of course but like as someone who used to believe in Carson Wentz I, I wish he could get back to form I think that would be great it'd be great for the NFL as a whole um but I just don't buy that he's going to get there when he's not able to take accountability for what went wrong. It reminds me of another guy you're familiar with, and that's Chip Kelly. Like the Chip Kelly gets fired by the Eagles and everybody says, okay, this is going to be, this is going to humble him. This is going to, he's going to learn that he needs to change some things up. Nope. And then in came my 49ers who swooped right in and hired him immediately. And I think when you have such a belief in yourself, which let's be honest, is something you need to get to the NFL. When you, but when you have that, it can work against you sometimes because, I mean, Chip Kelly immediately got another job. Carson Wentz was benched, and guess what? Some team wanted me. Not only did they want me, they traded stuff to get me. So I'm clearly not the problem. Somebody still wants me. Somebody else thinks I'm good. So let's, you know, let's go at it. There's no, they don't see the reason to change because to them, it's like somebody wanted me, so I must be good. Yeah, and it's really interesting because the Colts haven't done a ton of free agency this far. And I guess that's kind of uh, their MO under Chris Ballard. They're not going to go out there in day one and chase everyone. And they still have a lot of cap space and there's still a lot of players out there to be had. So I'm sure they'll be adding, and I'm sure they might add someone by the time we're done recording this. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind <laughs> of, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how it goes for the Colts there. We've talked about before how it's a unique situation because, you know, the Eagles have their first round pick on a condition next year. And Carson Wentz has to play, 75% of the snaps um, or 70% and they make the playoffs. So, you know, they have incentive to sit him down basically and bench him again if he's not playing, if he's playing super terribly. But obviously because of the position they're in now, they made this bet and they're uh, foregoing on drafting someone like this is their guy now. They put all their eggs or a lot of their eggs in this basket and they're going to have to see how it works out for better or worse. Yeah, you mentioned the cap space they have. They do have a ton, but they also, I think it was Peter King that pointed it out in his column on Monday. They have guys that they're going to have to pay. DeForest Buckner has a huge cap number that's coming up. Darius Leonard's going to be due for a new contract. Quentin Nelson's going to be up for a new deal. So, like, they can't spend all their cap space because they are going to have to pay some of their own guys. I like the Colts. I, I think Chris Ballard is a really good GM. To me, they need some weapons, though. Like, I, I pencil them in the draft for a wide receiver. They got to get somebody. T.Y. Hilton was a shell of himself. Like, they need a couple of real stud weapons uh, to really be a threat to me in that division. Yeah, and we know. I mean, you can, you can Frank Reich, you can look back at 2019 and say, well, Carson Wentz can carry the team, but he really can't. Like, maybe over a little period of time he can, but not, not all season long. Like, this isn't going to be Aaron Rodgers or anything. Uh, they absolutely need to get him more help. And again, I you, you hit the nail on the head. I think Ballard is a good GM, but let's also, you know, this is this is like we talked about with Ed, like this is like put up or shut up. That's a little bit what it is for the Colts now. Like they got their guy. It's no more like, well, you know, we're going year to year and it's kind of a tough situation. And understandably so, you can give them some grace with that. But now the grace is gone. Like you have to, the results have to be there now. Right. Like you thought you were going to have Andrew Luck. He pulls the rug out from under you in the preseason. You're sort of scrambling a little bit. You get Philip, you know, you had the year with Jacoby Brissett. Eh, you get Philip Rivers. Like they were piecing it together. But now, like, you're back to like your plan. You've made your choice at quarterback and you have chosen Carson Wentz. And so I agree. Like, now we have to see how it plays out with that. Uh, let's transition now to another quarterback who was rumored to be traded, hasn't been traded yet. And that's Russell Wilson. Um, I do was reports about the bears. They, the bears really wanted to make sure everyone knew just how hard they were trying to trade for Russell Wilson. They of course, ultimately did not. You now BLG from what I read in the Slack chat, you think that Russ is staying in Seattle. And I think that he is still going to get traded. 
Yeah, you know, I, I just really tried to uh, win an Oscar, but I just I didn't. You know, I really tried to do it, but it just didn't happen. Right. For, but like everyone's giving me credit because I really did try to do that. I hate that so much. I hate t- when teams tell you how much they tried. That's your job. You're all trying. Go do. You know, like I tried to have the best uh, podcast on the SB Nation NFL show. I'm sure that's like what RJ is saying when he, you know, he he uh, records a lot. I mean, look, he's jealous of the podcast. Like we, we don't have to bring it up. I mean, I just did. But whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, I don't think he's getting treated. Well, here's well, we were both on the same page with this earlier in the offseason in terms of like, I don't think it's because the Seahawks like aren't moving him. You know, it's like it's a refusal. I don't think it's that. I just think uh, I just wonder where the market is for him now. I would again, I would love for Miami to get him. I think that's the move. I just don't know, like if if they really want to do that. Like, I'm not getting the sense like that's the direction they necessarily want to go in, push the, all their chips in like that, uh, which I think is unfortunate because they should. But I guess just, you know, with the Bears out of it, I'm guessing the Raiders I, I'm, I don't think Russ wants to go to the Raiders. I never believed that. It's a weird. Um, you, you just look at the, the landing spots are kind of drying up for him. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I think it's a lot less likely than I did before just because of the market, not so much the Seahawks' willingness to do it. Yeah, I think the Seahawks are willing to do it. I think John Schneider is more willing to do it than Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll kind of smartly knows, like, hey, I wasn't you know, blowing anybody's doors in before we got Russell Wilson. I'm not sure at, at, you know, his age that he wants to sort of restart with another quarterback. That's why I thought Vegas would be interesting, because if you put Derek Carr in the deal, I could see Pete Carroll saying, hey, we can do enough with. I mean, Pete Carroll wants to run the ball and play defense anyway. You know, I, I almost wonder if that would be possible. But like you said, Russ has the no trade clause. So that's a huge part of it. I, I just think that the Seahawks like the Bears getting that out there. Oh, they made three, you know, three firsts, two starters and a third. That's not enough. Like they're telling you what they want. I think that Russ might have to go outside of his original four teams. I just don't know how he walks back into that locker room, BLG, after basically trashing his coach, trashing his offensive line. And how does he just go back to normal? Like everything's fine. Let's go win a Super Bowl. Where do you think he ends up? See, that's the tricky part. Well, that's because, part of the thing. That's what, that's the point. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, I can't, I don't know. I don't know where he would go. That's, that's what it takes. Um, I, again, I would like to see Miami. I don't think the Jets are going to do it. Again, they have the ammo to do what that takes with the first round picks and everything. But I don't think they want to accelerate the, where they are, like, to, to that quick. I think they want to build this thing a little bit, you know, more methodically as opposed to, like, just, you know, race out. Um, so where is it? See, the Jets would be really interesting to me because you throw Darnold in the deal. So then you get the USC quarterback, Sam Darnold, going with the old USC coach, Pete Carroll. Pete can sell. Hey, we just acquired a 23-year-old quarterback, you know, who's got plenty of career left. Pete does much better with a young team, I think, than a veteran team. So to me, that would be the one spot I would have to say. And if Robert Sala is worried about, you know, running before he can walk here, that's crazy to me. If you got a chance to get a stud quarterback like Russell Wilson, you better take it. Why would you want to go slow? That doesn't that to me would be the wrong way to think about it. Oh, yeah. Again, I'm not I'm not saying that's the right choice. I'm just that's just based on I feel like how they're progressing here. It's kind of more of just we're going to build this thing. They probably want to take a quarterback at number two overall uh, in this draft. I'm guessing I'm guessing Zach Wilson might be that guy. I I would hey, I would like it. I would like for them to be aggressive and go out and, and get Russ there. Um, they have the ammo to do it again. They have the two first round picks this year, the two next year. Uh, they've made some, I think, sensible and good free agent additions. You had Corey Davis. Um, you still have uh, Jamison Crowder there uh, in the slot. Um, you don't have 37-year-old Frank Gore as your leading rusher anymore <laughs> this season. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would like to see it, but I, I don't think they're going to go that route. So I think they want to build up that roster a little bit more. Adam Schefter, by the way, agrees with me. So hooray for that. He said on ESPN recently that he won't believe that Russ is not going to be traded until we get to the draft and he is not moved. So and I think, honestly, that that's the case for a couple quarterbacks. I think if the Niners are going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, I think they're going to have to do it during the draft, because if they do it before the draft, they totally give away their hand. You know, they give away their intentions and another team can can work on a deal to leapfrog them to take the quarterback that they possibly want. So I think the draft is going to be interesting, not only for who gets picked, but also for who could potentially move in a trade. Anyone but Jimmy, right? Uh, no, not anyone. Cause I've seen, I've seen Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. 
And it is horrible. And it has colored the entire fan base's thinking. You know, they constantly compare Jimmy to those guys, which is the worst possible comparison. They are not the standard for a good NFL quarterback, but because they have been so hideous and Garoppolo has just been better than them, people latch onto him like he's, you know, the second coming of Joe Montana. I feel like you're just every week you just try to will Jimmy not being the 49ers starting quarterback into existence which we've come a long work. way from episode one of the Oddcast, where I was like, I just don't believe in the 49ers stats because of Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're like, he was in the Super Bowl last year. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know, man. I, I don't think that's the quarterback who's your franchise guy. But here we are. All right, let's transition now to the college ranks, speaking of the draft, because today is the Alabama Pro Day. And Devontae Smith said something I thought was pretty interesting and that I liked. Basically, he said, I'm not doing any drills. I'm going to weigh in and that's it. I'm going to let my tape speak for itself. I am super pro player when it comes to the draft and all of this stuff. So I love that he's not doing anything. I don't like it stats. I like Devontae Smith. Don't get me wrong. Jalen Hurts in an interview on the Adam Schefter podcast described him as quote smooth criminal. And I love that description of him because <laughs> that's he, an awesome nickname. It is. I mean, like I want the Eagles to get him now in part like just because of that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I love that. And I, I love the player. I really do. I think people are overthinking the weight thing a little bit. I know it's the outlier, and I know there's danger. There's very much danger in betting on the exception. I totally get that. But when you watch Devontae Smith play, the guy is a baller. Like, he's a dog. Now, that's the high-level analysis you can kind of get here, draft analysis you can get on the SB Nation (laughs) NFL show with me specifically. But I just think about how, like, it was so apparent with Justin Jefferson last year. Like, that guy is a dog, man. Like, if you're, like, oh, he's only a slot. Like, what? Like you're overthinking it if you're getting to that point. Like, the guy is just really good. Now, I don't think I, I expected him to be as good as he was, the Vikings last year. But you knew, like, this is a player you want to bet on. And I think with Devontae Smith, it's the same kind of thing to me just on the tape. But I can't lie and say that, like, I wish he was doing the metrics and stuff, too, at least even just selfishly as a fan and as a t- like the Eagles being in the mix for him, like I want to see all the metrics. I want to see the 40. I want to see everything. I want to make sure like that's all right because, you know, uh, if there's a slow number in there or there's some concerning numbers, then all of a sudden like I'm second guessing it. And I think the fact that he's not going to do it, I, I don't know. Is he hiding something? Like it's, it's at least making me oh. wonder. See, I think that's what it is. I think you nailed it. I think we want to see these guys perform because it's entertaining. Of course. but for And uh, the fact that you admit that, like, I'm fine with that. But, like, is he hiding something? What is he hiding? You can watch every minute the guy's ever played on tape. He needs to run in a straight line for you. I, I just don't get it. Uh, I agree. You know, the weight thing, like, he would be the second lightest wide receiver drafted in the first round since 1999. So, like, that is a thing. But also, there have been other great wide receivers that have played at that 170-pound range. You saw in Philly with Deshaun Jackson, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I know he had injury issues, yes, but he was a great player, a game-changing player for them for a long time. Marvin Harrison played at that range, and he's, you know, like, you can't get much better than Marvin Harrison. So, like, it's not like it never happens before. And the dude won the Heisman Trophy as a wide receiver. Like, you don't win a church raffle to get that trophy. You got to be pretty damn good. And I just think that it's we are overblowing it. it. To me, it's the kind of thing where two years from now, maybe even less than that, maybe halfway through the season next year, we're like, hey, remember when we all worried about Devontae Smith's weight? Yeah, that was pretty dumb. Also, just thinking about how he plays, like he's it's not like a finesse player. Like he'll go up and get it. Like he's a he's a physical player for being at that weight. So like that's that's another thing I think about. It's not like he's just I don't think he's just gonna get pushed around or whatever. And with how smooth he is, I do think he's gonna be smart, you know, about in terms of like, you know, taking shots and everything and and uh avoiding defenders and just being open, getting open like he does. So yeah, I, I totally feel comfortable with him ultimately. It does give me a little bit of hesitation, just like I want I want the full picture. I want to I want all the information I can possibly get because the draft is such a hard thing to get right, uh, even when you do have all the information. So when you have even less, it's uh, it can be uh, discomforting. But uh, so I don't love it. I can't say I love it, but uh, I don't. Yeah, that's my argument. I don't love it. How about this little nugget from Adam Schefter? So today's the Alabama Pro Day. Najee Harris, their running back, his flight from Dallas to Birmingham was canceled last night due to lightning. 
So with no other travel options available, he jumped in a car and drove nine hours to make it to the pro day by 10 a.m. today. He's not even working out. He just wanted to go and support the teammates that were. That is an interesting little nugget that I'm sure Najee Harris's representation made sure Adam Schefter knew about. Yeah. But still pretty cool. Like he still drove nine hours for that. Props to him. That's such like a football guy thing. I feel like not only doing it, but also like like scouts talking about that. Like they're like putting that on their board or like they're filing that in their notes. Oh, he drove nine hours. Like, like we we have to take yep. it. And or like the, imagine the team like that's uh, talking about like the GM or whatever the day after the draft or after the pick. They're like, this is a guy. You know, we love this tape. Uh, high character guy. Oh, we love we loved that time he drove nine hours. That was just great. We couldn't afford not to take it. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you this. This is something that I was totally against, but Mike Florio completely turned me around on it. That doesn't happen often with me. I'm pretty damn stubborn. He is down on the draft. He thinks it's insane that these guys don't get any choice over where they're supposed to play. He thinks what they should do is keep the uh, rookie pool that each team has. If you don't know, there's only a certain amount of money that teams can spend on rookies every single year. Mike Florio says, keep that and let these guys sign wherever they want. And instead of the draft, you have a day where just like kind of the recruiting in college, these players would announce which team they decided to sign with. And then you'd have to see, you know, Jerry Jones and Kyle Shanahan and Urban Meyer go out and recruit these guys. And I think it would be just as interesting, if not more interesting than the draft itself. Yeah, I know people have talked about that too with the NBA as a kind of like a way to curtail tanking, you know, kind of just like like kind of a total workaround, a total system like that. And obviously, yeah, it would be it would be better for the players too. And I'm not against right. any, any, trying anything like that. Why? What's the risk in trying anything for like one year as a as a league in general? Just that that's my that's my general philosophy. Like I hated, um, uh, or the way I, I put it, whenever the 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 fourth uh, and fifteen, the onside kick. Uh, alternative yep. that comes up. I'm like, why can't we just try it for at least one year? Like if it sucks or if people hate it, whatever, then just get rid of it the next year. We, we literally, not me literally, but the NFL like placated Sean Payton, big baby for an entire year, changed <laughs> the pass interference rules, like just to make him happy for one year. And then they got rid of it because mm-hmm. it was terrible. It was stupid. It never should have been enacted in the first place, but like we can do that, but we can't try something that like, is fun, exciting, that more people even like, has less opposition. Like, I'm open to try anything for a year, see how it goes. You might get that this year. They, the owners are going to vote at the end of the month uh, on that and a couple other rule changes. The the spot and choose from the Ravens, that, that has no chance of passing because the owners are way too scared about stuff like that. But we may get the onside kick thing this year. That would be good. But just imagine if Trevor Lawrence, like you could go and recruit Trevor Lawrence, you know, do the Cowboys pay Dak Prescott all that money? Mm. If Jerry Jones can get in a room with Trevor Lawrence and say, hey, come play for us, they would be fascinating to go see. And it's not like the draft is guaranteeing that the crappy teams get good just because they get the first pick. Like crappy teams stay crappy for a long time. Look at the Browns. Look at the Jaguars, basically. Like there are plenty of teams that have been bad for a long time. I don't think I could get enough people behind it, but I am totally on board for recruiting the incoming rookies. I think it would be fascinating. So would the bad teams have a little bit more money to spend? Um, yeah, you could you could say that if you want, but like, is Trevor Lawrence going to go to the Chiefs? No, because Patrick Mahomes is there. So like mm-hmm. the good teams usually have their quarterbacks. I, I think the system would kind of work itself out a little bit. Plus, if you're the Jags, right, you hire Urban Meyer. What's he known for? Great recruiting. So that, you know, that sort of becomes a weapon for you. I, I just think it would be fascinating rather than just saying, oh, you are the worst. You, quote unquote, earned the best player in the draft. The first pick, go get it. That's one thing Urban Meyer is known for. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, trust me, I'm not on board the Urban Meyer train. I'm not an Urban Meyer fan, but he is. I mean, you can't argue that he didn't have good recruiting classes when he was in college. All right. Last thing. And I, I mentioned it. Um the owners meetings. And this is something that else that they're going to vote on. Peter King had this in his football morning in America column. We could see a big change to officiating because they're, they are voting to give the replay official more power. The replay official would then be allowed to help the referees in real time, not with a review in real time, say, Hey, that the guy's foot was out of bounds or it was in bounds, or that was a first down or whatever the case may be, rather than having coaches have to challenge that stuff. 
the replay official can just buzz down to the refs and say, hey, you screwed up or hey, change this. I am totally, totally 100% in favor of this, BLG. Please tell me you're with me. I think it's an all or nothing kind of thing. I think that's what it has to be. Like either you're reviewing like everything, like every it's, everything's on the table uh, or nothing. So I think if this is the way you're going to go and you're going to make things or you're going to add more of that into the game, then that's what you should be doing. You should be making it more uh, thorough and everything. I know the Eagles have supported uh, Bill Belichick's proposal for a long time of making like literally everything reviewable. Um, that's, and I think the Eagles are thought of generally as more progressive um, ownership and, and whatnot. So um, just kind of putting that in the, in the light of like, this could be where the game is going. This is how the modern uh, approach is to it. Then, then sure, I'm fine with it. I I don't care stats. I, I don't care about this kind of stuff to the point of where like um, it's moving the needle a ton for me. But you're pretty passionate about it. Oh, my God. Like you... You can't let the structure of officiating shackle you into doing what is right. Like, so the league has like their rules, right? And then every year they modify the rules. And so you just end up with like this scaffolding of old officiating rules that you're trying to like navigate through. Take a wrecking ball to that. If you were going to come up with the officiating rules right now, BLG, you wouldn't do it the same way that they've done it. They would look different. They would incorporate the technology. If we had this technology when football was starting, they would have used it the way they're talking about use, you know, voting at this owner's meeting. I think they absolutely have to do it. You cannot have officials making calls because they can't see the same things that millions of people at home see. You just can't do it anymore. And I hope that the league is taking a step towards that because I'm tired of talking about bad calls and bad officiating and replay challenges every week. Fix this. They can fix it. And I hope they do. It goes back to my thing of like, why not try it? And if it, again, if it, if it doesn't work out, the fans hate it, uh, owners hate it, what, like they can change it the next year. Like, why not just try anything basically on a yearly basis? So I know that maybe that can get crazy because I'm kind of just opening the door for, uh, I don't know, like let's get a basketball involved in the game of football somehow. <laughs> why not? Just throw it in there for a year. It's a, maybe it's a dangerous door that I'm opening, but that's my policy. If I'm commissioner, I'm like, yeah, we'll try anything. Every, anything we try, one-year basis, we'll see how it goes, and then we'll go from there. So I hope it happens. We'll see. Do the right thing, owners. Do the right thing. Fix it. It will help you more than it hurts you, I promise. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief BLG. Is there anything you want to leave the fans with before we go? We have an oddity stats to get to. Off-season Ooh, oddity. How about that? I like it. Uh, Lay it on me. Pointed out here by Nathan Jonke from uh, Pro Football Focus. Texans wide receivers stats, Randall Cobb, Chris Conley, Brandon Cooks, Isaiah Coulter, Kiki Koti. Do you notice a difference or a similarity in those names? Yeah. Do they just rip out like the third page of the phone book and get, get all the wide receivers there? They all begin with C. They all begin with CO specifically. Um, and I, I'm just realizing this now, but if you take Brandon, Randall, Isaiah, Chris, and Kiki, that spells out brick. Um, so maybe that's not a good sign for the Texans wide receivers. They're like bricking their <laughs> wide receiver room. Uh, maybe there's something here. I feel like with the CO, like the, the co core, you know, like a wide receiver core, that's probably a stretch on my part. I don't know. There's something there though. That's, I like that as not a D maybe just the core C O R P S. They, they call themselves the core. I don't know. I mean, with, with the CO capitalized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, there's something there for sure. That is that is an oddity. Like that is what are the odds of that? Because it's, clearly, it's not something they plan. They just randomly acquire all these wide receivers. What if there's something in the brain of Nick Casario where he has some sort of bias toward wide receivers with CO in their last name, and he just subconsciously acquires them all? And to take it a step further, David Cully, whose name begins with a C, was a wide receivers coach. That's his background. Oh man, see. It's all we finally see the method to the Texans madness. I think they've made like 31 moves or acquired like 31 players, which is crazy when you consider there's 11 on offense and 11 on defense. That's 22. So they basically have acquired an entire new starting lineup. The Texans have the most just a guy term I like to use team. I feel like in the NFL, like the, the players they've signed, they're just like names. They're just like people. They're like, OK, like this guy isn't like. A total laughing stock, but he's not like good. It's just like it's just a player. Like this is a, a like a replacement level or just generic, solid, whatever. Like they're just building. They're they're making all these moves, but it doesn't feel like anything is changing. You know, they're just, they're just adding new people in, but it's not like moving the needle. It's just like okay, these are new players. 
great. <laughs> I'm excited. No. <laughs> no, they are different, but they are not necessarily better. Uh, and let's be honest, none of it matters until they get the quarterback situation straightened out. And we have n- absolutely no idea what is happening with Deshaun Watson, how that situation is going to resolve itself. They have Terod Taylor there. Okay. You're not Ryan be, Finley. I mean, you're not going to be horrible with Taylor. Like, he's not a bad quarterback. He's just not really a good quarterback. But you're right. Like, most of those guys, just a dude. Just a guy. I like that. Last thing I had, stats. Um, the RJ thing from earlier, just in case that wasn't Oh, yes, that's right. You have a bone to pick with RJ. RJ last week has the nerve to say on the look ahead last week that the oddcast has no theme to it. Are you kidding me, RJ? Uh, we just did winners and losers last week. And I'm going to have to put you in the losers section. Uh, for not <laughs> properly recognizing the greatness of the, I mean, it's it's so clear that he's just jealous of the, but it's okay. Uh, we can have him on sometime. Uh, it'll be fun. Never mind that he quotes the Oddcast like fifty times. Yeah, he brings it up like I don't know if you noticed that a hundred times, and I look at it every week. It's so good. RJ and I, I feel like it's probably a crime that we're not together on the podcast more often because uh, <laughs> I mean one of one of the episodes we did stats the Friday Football Friday special was one of the the most popular episodes during the season last year. So uh, so maybe we have to fix that in the future. But for right now, we're still enemies. And I'm generally supportive of that. I don't want you guys to be friends. I like it better that you're enemies. So. There you go. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Again, we remind you, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. We really do appreciate it. You have been awesome lately coming through with the with the ratings and the comments. Please keep them coming. We really do appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the offseason, everybody. We are ticking down towards the NFL draft, and we will be here with you every step of the way. I have no idea why I ended the show like that, but that's where it went. Yeah, I was like, wait, enjoy the offseason. We're not recording anymore. (laughs) That's it, everybody. See you in six months. Enjoy it. (laughs) More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.